Hey y'all, I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. We are the registered dietitian nutritionists and hosts of Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. So we wanted to tell you what our podcast is all about. Our podcast is designed to educate and excite conversations in women's health, food, nutrition, wellness, and cross-cultural health topics. Every week, we'll discuss proven techniques with an entertaining flair to energize you and encourage you in your journey to a healthier, physical, mental, and social well-being. So hold up, hold up, Jay. We're going to tell them what this means in other words. So our podcast isn't only focused on the black and white of food and nutrition, because you know if you have a problem, your problem is almost always a different shade of gray, am I right? right? For instance, one can argue that kale is healthier than spinach, but is it really though? In Nutrition Lifestyles, we're going to take you on a journey. We're going to teach you how to break down the latest craze in food when it comes down to pop culture. So if your goal is to live a better lifestyle and you are interested in becoming a better you, then listen to this episode to find out how. And also subscribe to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And don't forget to share this with your friends. Guys, if you guys hear any kind of squirming, a little noise in the background, I am a breastfeeding mom and that's my little baby, two month baby, I'm breastfeeding. Just to let y'all know, heads up. Hey y'all, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we're going to be discussing issues related to men's health. It's without a shadow of a doubt, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Right? Um, but really though, men and women are very different creatures. They are psychologically and physiologically different. If you're listening to this episode, we are pretty sure that you know at least one man in your life. This could be your father, your spouse, your brother, your uncle, a church deacon, and the list goes on and on. So focusing a little bit more on health in general, the Harvard Medical School reported, and I quote, when it comes to health, males are the weaker sex throughout life. Ouch, I don't think they're going to like this idea that they are the weakest sex. Right? I grew up never seeing my father or my brother really go to the doctor. My mother, on the other hand, wouldn't miss a beat. She would make sure that she always got herself checked out and she would do the same for me. Same here. My mom, same thing. She was the one going to the doctor and my dad barely went to the doctor. And when we think of men... Our men, black men, this is disheartening because race is always a factor. The National Institute of Health, um, they stated that the health of black men consistently ranks lowest across nearly all groups in the United States. And I wonder, like, why in the world is this? So in today's episode, we are going to explore this. We're going to look at the history of health as it relates to black men. So for me, men's health is very important. I am the only girl in the house of five men. You guys should know by now that I'm married. I have four little boys who are soon to be men. I have brothers, nephews, and of course my dad, whom I was very close to and loved dearly. He actually died almost nine years ago now. And my mom and I, we're always racking our brains and nostalgic over the fact, you know, trying to figure out what we could have done differently to prevent his death. I'm going to go into this a little bit more 
um, in a few minutes in regards to um, how my dad died and what he was battling. But when I think of health and when it comes to the black man, and I'm pretty sure when a lot of people think of black men in, in medicine and whatnot, we think about the fact that black men are very weary of the medical professional. Mm -hmm. And this is because in my mind automatically goes to this. Um, it's because of the Tuskegee study. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So if you guys don't know much about the study or if you've heard of it and haven't, um, don't know the details, I'm going to give you a little bit about it now. So the CDC states that in 1932, the public health service, um, department along with the Tuskegee Institute. And I quote here what the CDC said is they began a study to record the natural history of syphilis in hopes of justifying treatment programs for blacks. So if you know anything about 1932, you'll know that Jim Crow was very much alive and in full effect during that time. Alive and well, girl, alive and well. And so States and local laws were enforcing segregation, um, specifically in the South. And as you guys know, Tuskegee is in the South. So black people in general were viewed as second class citizens in comparison to whites. And there was, um, you know, a health disparity that we see even till this today um, when we compare white populations to black, black populations. So according to the CDC, the study initially included 600 black men. 399 of those men had syphilis and about 201 of them did not have the disease. So usually when it comes to studies, right, the participants who are involved in the studies are informed of what the study mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. about, the goals of the study, the purpose of the study, and the participants provide what we call informed consent. In this study, the Tuskegee study, this was not done. Informed consent was not given by the participants. They didn't know exactly what was going on and what the purpose of the study was. The men in the Tuskegee syphilis study thought that they were going to be treated by the researchers for what was called bad blood back then. And this basically meant that they were going to be treated for various diseases. So that's what the men thought that um, the study was about. What actually happened is that they did not treat these men properly at all for any diseases that they were suffering from the researchers they used free food free medical um exams and burial insurance to entice the men to participate <sighs> this <sighs> was supposed to be a very short study but in actuality it ended up running and lasting 40 long years and when penicillin the antibiotic became the drug of choice for treatment of syphilis in 1947. The drug was never treated, was never used to treat these. Now men. just stop. Just, they just were stop. only given placebos like aspirin or mineral supplements. So basically, in other words, these black men were human guinea pigs, human lab rats for these researchers. And by the time the study actually was forced to end, and when I say forced, like they weren't trying to end it themselves, it was forced to end when they were exposed, 28 participants had died from syphilis, 100 more had passed away from complications related to the disease, and 40 spouses 
of the men who were in the study ended up getting the disease and passed it on to their kids, about 19 of the children via birth. Hello. I'm here, Joanne. <laughs> I'm here and hot and upset. <laughs> wow. Um, you know what really got to me was the fact that you said that black people in general were viewed as second class citizens in comparison right. to white people. Like that really that really got to me. But um let me let me just recollect myself. Yeah. But I want to talk about syphilis just a little bit more. For those of you who do not know what syphilis is, it's a bacterial infection that is spread through sexual contact. And syphilis occurs in stages. There's a primary stage, secondary, a latent stage, and a tertiary stage. So we're not really going to go into all the different stages and the specifically what happens during each stage of infection. But it should be noted that can canker sores can develop on the private areas. Uh, you can have wart-like sores in your mouth, hair loss, and damages to the brain and nervous system. And this is only naming a few of the things that occur. So you can only imagine that these black men and sisters, you wonder why there's, there's hardly any black men. You can see why. So these are only a few things that these black men were going through and how it impacted not only their health, but the health of their family members, their offspring, and the view of the view that some black men may hold regarding medicine and overall health today. So even till today, black men are not about the medical professional coming to them with anything. They could be sick as a dog and they're not trying to get treated because of this history. And I can't believe them. I really can't. So when it comes to the diseases that are like top, top threats for both black and white men, um, we're talking about heart disease, cancer, and unintentional injury. These are like the top threats for black men and white men. But for black men specifically, we're talking about violence, prostate cancer, HIV, AIDS. These are the top threats to their health. So, of course, we cannot address issues related to unintentional injury or violence, but we can focus on the physiological aspect of health for these men. Um, the black men in my life always have been afraid of, you know, and untrusting of doctors. I can't say I'm mad at them, like I said before, because of the history that black men have had with um, the treatments they've received in the medical world. Mm-hmm, For mm-hmm. me personally, we found out that my dad had prostate cancer around 2001, 2002. And I remember three months prior to this, he canceled his health insurance because he said he's never oh sick my goodness. and he did not need it. When in actuality, it was that he didn't go to the doctor and he wasn't using his health insurance. I was in my early 20s back then, and certainly I didn't have the knowledge that I have now when it comes to health insurance and medicine and, you know, and all that. So the crazy thing is that we came to find out, find out that he had been, um, he had been seeing blood in his urine for months what? and months, like prior to being diagnosed, but he didn't tell me, he didn't tell my mom. He was afraid to go to the doctor. Nobody knew about this. By the time we found out, my dad had stage three metastatic prostate Stop. cancer and he had no health insurance Stop. and 
basically we were in a battle of our lives with my dad. So my dad ended up battling prostate cancer for about nine or 10 years. And he eventually lost his battle in 2001, um, 2011, excuse me, which was about a month um, after my firstborn son came into this world. Um, and truthfully, y'all, if my son hadn't been born, I probably would have lost my mind. Okay. And God knew what he was doing because like my son was born a month before my dad died. And when my dad died, I had to focus on my son. And that probably is what saved my sanity. So I go through the shoulda, couldas of what we could have done differently all the time. And, you know, the fact that it was in his head, embedded in his head to not trust the medical society in general. And my dad was not born here. He was born in mm, Haiti because mm-hmm. we are Haitian and whatnot. And he still had that in his mind. When it comes to my husband, you know, when we first got married, I made it a point to take his health very seriously because I already knew what he had in mind when it came to um, medicine you. and health and going to the doctor. I specifically, I searched for a practice that we could both go to. And I actually found one that basically would cater to my husband and myself. Look at sis. For him, I found somebody that was like, you know, into sports medicine, that they're special, that they had a specialty in sports medicine along with being a primary care physician so that my husband would be interested in going. And I actually would schedule our appointments on the same day so that way I knew he would go to his annual physicals every year. Because if I didn't do that, he would never go. So not only did I have to schedule our annual physicals on the same day, I also had to make sure I looked at his lab work when it came back. Wow. Because I knew that he would, you know, brush things off, the recommendations that the doctors made or whatnot. So I had to do these things just to make sure that my husband was getting the care that he needed, if he needed the care, and that we were on top of everything when it came to, came to his health. So... 13 years later in our marriage, it's a lot better. I don't actually have to go to appointments with him on the same day, but I actually still schedule the appointments. I'm the one that has to schedule them. And I still look at his labs when they come in. You know, I'm raising four boys now and I'm probably going to have to do the same thing. And I have to instill in them and make them realize the importance of health so that it's not a cycle. And this cycle of the fear of the medical world continues in the black community when it comes to men so for those of you that follow me on instagram it was about a year and three months ago maybe my brother got into this terrible car wreck so i remember the day clearly i was at the hospital i was actually early for a meeting and i kept hearing um codes being called to the emergency room and i remember saying to myself like man gee i wonder who that is And I remember I said a quick word of prayer because I usually like when I hear codes being called, I usually don't sit there and pray, but the code kept being called over and over and over. So it kind of touched me. And throughout the day, um, I didn't hear anything from my family members, which is not atypical until I came home that afternoon and my mom called me and my mom said, your brother has been transferred from your hospital to a trauma unit. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what? And I called my boss and I said to her, I said, did you know that my brother was in the emergency room? And she said, 
We knew that there was somebody serious in the emergency room, but I didn't realize oh my it gosh. was your brother until you actually left the facility. And I was just like, what? I was like, Jesus, <laughs> what in the world is going on? So that night I drove two hours with my parents because they were not in any condition to drive themselves. And my parents are older. Right. So I drove two hours to the trauma hospital and my brother was actually in the trauma ICU, intubated, sedated, even though he was mm-hmm. fighting. He was fighting that propofol girl. He was fighting it. <laughs> and I'm just like, Chris, relax. Let the breathing machine, you know, breathe for you. Mm-hmm. So here's the backstory. My brother had, he was on his way to work early in the morning. I don't know if he was sleepy behind the wheel, but he ended up having a serious car wreck and the onlookers that view the car wreck stated that he he climbed out the car window and was just laying on the pavement and he was speaking and saying oh i gotta get up i gotta go to work and the onlookers were like pinning him down because like he was bloody he was bad they didn't know if there was any spinal cord injury that was my biggest fear that there was a spinal cord injury oh my gosh i was speaking you know every night every two days i would go into the hospital to provide coverage because unfortunately at that time no one was able to cover for me because you guys know that i live in a semi-rural area And I was speaking to my ER director and I'm like, okay, what happened? And he was like, you know, your brother came in, he was walkie talkie, he was ambulatory. And all of a sudden he crashed, lungs collapsed. Wow. Yeah. So his lungs collapsed. Um, The sac that his lungs, you know, you have that, that air sac that your lungs fill up in. It was filling with blood. Um, It was raining at the time. They wanted to transfer him via helicopter but um, the helicopters weren't flying because there was lightning and he had to be transferred via ground. So then now when everyone in the hospital realized it was my brother, because I'm a very private person, guys, extremely private. No one in the hospital gave me eye contact. (laughs) They, I don't know if it's because there was a delay in his transfer, but um. That's neither here or there. That's another story for another day. (laughs) But I remember the CEO of the my hospital calling over to the CEO of the hospital where my brother was, and like, "Yo, you guys really need to take care of him." So um, he had two nurses, and my brother just kept having seizures while being intubated. Uh, Kepra wasn't helping. Propofol wasn't helping. His mm-hmm. blood pressure was like 280 over 100 because hypertension does run in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, he was diaphoresing. His clavicle was broken. And of course, my biggest concern was that he had a spinal cord injury. He ended up developing pneumonia. And my mom just basically slept at the hospital, just basically slept there. And I'm very fortunate because, guys, I didn't, only thing I knew was. That tube feeding. (laughs) That is all I knew. Like, okay, what are we giving him? What is it providing? And I praise the Lord because, you know, I had friends that were emergency room physicians and surgeons at the time. And I'm taking pictures of everything. And I'm like, bam, what is this? What is this? What is this? I had friends that were respiratory therapists, friends that were familiar with, you know, collapsed lungs, ICU nurses. And I'm just like, okay, what, what's this? What's this? And like, okay, it's, it's improvements. Um, no need to worry. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. So when my brother was finally extubated like a week later, because I wasn't about to let that trach stay in, I was about to talk, not, I wasn't about to let 
the intubation device stay in his throat. I was going to talk, you know, giving him a tracheostomy if it was more than five days, but it ended Mm -hmm. up being seven days and he was extubated, weak, lost all this weight. Fortunately, he, you know, he was a little thick prior to all of this. His left arm ended up really messed up. Only way that I can describe it to you, imagine that you have like a sling and the sling is like stretched out and it won't recoil. That's how his left arm is. So he went to his um, various appointments that I took him to. Same thing like you, Joanne, was reading the lab work, reading the results. And they they wanted him to get surgery because C3 or is it C5 and C6 were pinching off that nerve that was to allow his left arm to work. And as much as I tried to convince my brother, yeah, take the surgery, take the surgery. He was like, no, I'm good. I'm right-handed. I'm good. I'm not going to let them um, sedate me. And I'm like, who is them? I'm not surprised that he did that. That is not surprising. And I'm just like, Chris, do the surgery. He was like, no, I'm good. It's a whole different situation when I was unconscious and I wasn't able to make a decision and someone else had to be my decision maker. I'm not going to go voluntary into this surgery. I'm right-handed. I will choose to live like this. And I mean, you really can't knock him because then he started going into things such as the Tuskegee um, situation that Joanne spoke about earlier. So what he does is he takes a lot of physical therapy. He's more of like a naturopathic person anyway. But, you know, I'm just realizing like, man, if this is the perception of my brother, how many more black men think like this? Wow. So he never did the surgery? Nope. To this day. Wow. I do not blame your brother for being hesitant. It's very much understandable. And, you know, these factors, there could be other factors related to to this, you know, the lack of awareness when it comes to health and medicine mm-hmm. for black men, and lack of health insurance. A lot of um, black men don't have a health insurance. My husband has told me many a times that if he wasn't married to me, he would have never gotten health insurance, although his job provided excellent health insurance. The lack of family support, we see this because it's a cyclical thing. So if your your father and your, your mother or whomever raised you have the same mentality and fear of health industry and healthcare, you're going to have the same, yeah, the same thoughts and the same thinking. And also men in general feel like they are invincible. Shots they feel like, fired. you know, nothing can happen to them. Nothing bad can happen to them. So, you know, these are the factors that can other, you know, factors that can affect the, the thinking and the, um, us seeing black men not going to, health the health industry for help or going to the doctor for help or trying to get you know annual screenings done and whatnot Mm -hmm. so as women you know there's a lot that we can do to help and encourage our men um you know myself as a dietitian and being in the health industry in the health field i have a lot of knowledge and so does kim but you know not everyone is married to someone like us who are in the health field and who has the knowledge so Us as black women in general or women in general, we have to basically encourage our men to go to the doctor. If you got to hold our hands, I'd rather do that than shoulda, coulda down the line. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. So there's other, other ways that we can encourage our 
significant others, our siblings, the men in our lives is by helping them to live a healthy lifestyle. So we don't want our men smoking. So encouraging them to stop smoking cigarettes because it increases the risks of lung cancer and heart disease. So we want them to stop that as soon as they can. Of course, as we always say, you know, we want people to eat the rainbow and include as much color in your food as possible. So choosing a variety of vegetables and fruits, encourage your family, your spouse to do that. Adding whole grains and high fiber to their foods and not consuming a lot of refined breads and stuff. I know my husband used to be very much into white rice and white bread and not wanting to touch whole grain anything. And I think I've hammered hammered it into his head enough that he has making or is still making a switch because sometimes he still doesn't want to listen to what I'm trying to tell him. <laughs> but, you know, he's making much more of an effort to make these changes in his life than he was before. Uh-huh, that's want right. to try to encourage our men to eat lean protein. And if they're not going to eat a lot of lean, the lean meats that are available, maybe since we are the ones that are doing the cooking for these men, trimming the fats off the, the meat, the visible fat off the meat so we can reduce their intake of saturated fats, baking and grilling and broiling instead of frying the foods that we're serving. And um, we have the key basically to the health of our families and we have to try to find a way to make the change, you know, help our family stop the cycle. Um, And we spoke about this specifically in regards to how to eat on a budget, how to be healthy. Yeah. And that is actually episode one in this current season, season one. And it's uh, for those of you that are interested to go back and listen to that episode. It's titled Hot Sauce and Greens, Eating Healthy in the Hood. So other things that can be done, as um, Joanna really mentioned, just tagging on to the list to maintain a nutritious and healthy lifestyle is to limit alcohol consumption. So I remember telling you guys that when my brother was in the ICU trauma unit, I noticed that his blood pressure was very high. So besides having a um, genetic predisposition to having a high blood pressure, I also think it's because my brother is a social drinker. Right. But uh, so of course we know that an excessive consumption of alcohol can impact the blood pressure as well. So the recommendation for men 65 years old and younger is to have no more than two drinks. Mm -hmm. But my brother, prior to his accident, I'm pretty sure he was drinking more than two drinks. So to be more specific, if we're speaking about beer or if we're speaking about wine or or hard liquor, I want you guys to jump jump on to our Facebook page where we're going to have that visual for you. Seriously, because you know two drinks are different from person to person. Um, another thing that I encouraged my brother to do after his accident um, was to try to maintain a healthy weight through exercising. So he lost all of, uh, a lot of his body weight. And I realized that he did have some sarcopenia as well. So his muscle mass did decrease. So I'm like, well, Chris, you know, you need to start your resistance training again. Cause my brother is, um, he's former military So exercising can definitely lower the risk of heart disease as well and also various types of cancers. So ladies, whatever men is in your life, or even if you're a man and you're listening to this podcast, take care, and I'm clapping now, 
Take care of your health. <laughs> Encourage the men in your life. And if you are a male, please, please don't be so fearful of the medical community. You know, the best thing for you guys to do is do your research. Mm-hmm. Advocate for yourself. Find the doctor and medical professional that works with you. The first one may not go well. I mean, that's with everything in life. You may go shopping for a house. You find the first house. That's not the house for you. You move on and go look for another house. Same thing with your medical professionals. You find a doctor, that's not the doctor for you, move on, find another doctor. Don't just cancel out the medical world and not know what's going on with yourself. I agree. So as usual, guys, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, please go and rate and give us five stars. And please make sure to comment. Let us know what you think. Let us know different stories of what may have been going on in your life with the men in your life. The more we know and the more we relate, the more people are going to feel less likely to not go to the doctor because the same thing are going on. You know, the same thing is going on in their lives also. So this is it for this episode. Um, So Joanne, go ahead and close it out for us. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. If you haven't subscribed to the Nutrition Lifestyles podcast, please do so. Most importantly, we want to extend a special invitation to you to join the Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne Facebook page and the Nutrition Lifestyles pod club. You were not meant to do this alone. It is important for us to surround ourselves with people who mirror positivity related to health and nutrition. So all you have to do to follow our page and join our private pod club is hop on over to Facebook and search for Nutrition Lifestyles Pod Club and the Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne page. Click on the join and like buttons respectively, and then you will gain access to tips to jumpstart a nutritious lifestyle, a tribe to cheer you on your journey, hot topics on health and nutrition, and also it's a hub to connect with me and Kim. We are really looking forward to mingling with you. So see you on Facebook.